All right, go ahead and have a seat. College students, well, it was kind of loud, wasn't it? College students, hey, welcome back. It's good to have you back. We, uh, we miss you guys. When you guys are not here, uh, we feel it. You, you bring so much excitement and energy into this body. And uh, when you guys are not here, uh, we miss you uh, terribly. So welcome, welcome back. I know that uh, uh, there are some freshmen in here who uh, will be starting college tomorrow. Let's give them a hand. It's going to be okay. I know you may have some butterflies and anxiety right now, but the Lord is with you, and uh, He'll keep you, and uh, you're going to have a great, uh, great week. And so we are excited that you're here. Uh, if you are a guest with us this morning, I uh, just want to welcome you once again. My name is Blake Hildefeld, one of the pastors here. If you are a college student and you're a guest, um, not only is it my, my joy and privilege to be able to serve this body through the preaching of the word, but it's also uh, my privilege to be able to serve you, uh, college students. I, I oversee college here, and so I'd love to meet you if you are a guest. If, you've, if I've never met you, if you've never met me, uh, come back here at the Connect area after the gathering. Uh, I want to meet you. I, I want to get to know you, so come and introduce yourself to me. Um, also, if you're a guest, you're not a college student, welcome. I want to meet you too. Uh, so please come back to the Connect area and uh, introduce yourself, and uh, I, I want to I get to know you. Now listen, if you are a guest, we have been going through the series, uh, series on the Book of Romans. We've been going through it for many months now. Uh, we have uh, gone through uh, 13 chapters in the Book of Romans, which is pretty amazing uh, that we uh, have, uh, have found ourselves being there. But we're going to push pause, all right? So we're going to pause that series. We're going to eventually finish that at some point in the future. Uh, but over the next four weeks, we are going to look um, at this theme uh, that we're calling pursue. All right. So as I mentioned last week, as a church, we have been praying for us as a church and, and we've really felt heavy. Uh, this word keeps on coming back up over and over and over again. And so this is what we're going to do over the next four weeks. We are going to take the four identities that we feel that make us, that make up us as followers of Jesus, as the church, and we're going to lay this theme on top of those four identities, all right? So those four identities are worshiper, learner, family, and missionary, all right? So worshiper, learner, family, and missionary. And we're going to apply this theme of pursue um, over those four identities as we move forward in the next couple of weeks. And so this morning, we're going to look at worship, all right? So, uh, but more specifically, we're going to kind of look at, and, and what does it look like for us to be a people of God, the church, who passionately pursues God, which makes us or turns us into worshipers, all right? So this is where I want to go at the beginning of our time. I want to kind of lay out for us a definition of worship, all right? So if you have a piece of paper or a pen, you can write this down. This is kind of going to be the foundation as we move forward this morning of what worship really is. And uh, it's taken from a book called Redemption, written by a guy named Mike Wilkerson. All right, so here's what he says worship is. Worship is not just singing songs in church. It's how we live our lives every moment of every day. So every thought, every word, deed, feeling, desire. You worship ultimately what you live for. So whatever is most worthy of your attention, whatever is most worthy of your devotion, you worship. 
So it's what drives you at the core and it flows from the essence of who you are. All right. So as created beings, we were created to worship. That's who we are. We are worshipful beings. Now, not just to sing songs uh, about God, and we're going to kind of work through that and see what worship is and is not, but worship ultimately is about who we are. It's about us being created beings and finding that God is the most valuable thing in the universe, and then in turn, He becomes the most valuable things in our lives to where we give our lives every moment of every day to value Him above everything else in our lives, all right? So, as we move forward this morning, this is what we're going to look at. Ultimately, what we're going to see is worship is not the, a means, it is a fruit, all right? So worship is the fruit of seeing the greatness of who, we, who God is. So when we see the greatness of who a God is, what happens? We worship, okay? Worship is also an act of remembering, and it's a, it's a matter of the heart, okay? So it is the fruit of seeing the greatness of God. It is an act of remembering, and it is a matter of the heart. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take a 10,000-foot view of the story of Exodus. And so what we're going to see is, is that God has been, and He is continuing to form a people for Himself called the church today, who radically recenters our lives around Him to where he becomes the center of our worship and we go from this place to make other worshipers of him in this city and among the nations. You with me? All right, so that's where we're going to go this morning. But before we jump into the story of Exodus, I want us to stop and pray. I want to pray for our time together, but I also want to continue to pray for the unity within our country. Guys, as you have seen over the past 10 days, there has been chaos. There has been disunity among, uh, among this country, among the people of this country. And we want to make it loud and clear that as the leadership of this church, guys, we condemn white supremacy. All right? We condemn it. And we condemn any other hatred towards any other person based on race, any other discrimination. Guys, do you realize that Jesus was Middle Eastern? He was more brown than he was white. And he is forming for himself, as we're going to see today, he is forming for himself a people from all nations, tongues, tribes, all races, all skin colors. It doesn't matter. He is forming a people himself to redeem a people to worship him. And when we get to be in his presence, when his kingdom finally comes, when he sets up the new heavens and the earth, new earth, we're going to look around us and we're going to be, it's going to be filled. The kingdom of God is filled with people of all types of skin color. So as a result of that and a result of who he is and as a result of what he has done for us, may we continue, guys, to speak out against any hatred towards anyone, any discrimination towards anyone. May we be vocal. May we stand up and fight for that. Are you with me? And let us continue to go to our Heavenly Father and ask for peace, ask for unity, ask that people's hearts would be changed from hatred to love. Are you with me? So let's pray. Let's pray to that end. Father, we can 
continue to come to you and ask, as we did last week, that your kingdom would come, Father. And that your church would have such a huge view of your kingdom. That we have a such huge view of what's coming. That your salvation is coming and that one day, Father, that you're going to come and restore the heavens and the earth. That you're going to make new heavens and new earth. And there's going to be a people that gather around your throne to worship you. And that people are going to be from all nations, tongues, and tribes. And so, Father, because of that wonderful image, because of that wonderful view of your kingdom that is coming, let us live in light of that kingdom today and be a people who embrace all peoples, that pursue all peoples, that love all peoples as a result of the way in which you have loved us, that you have welcomed us into your kingdom, and it wasn't based on the color of our skin. It wasn't based on anything else other than what your son, Jesus Christ, has done for us. And so, Father, it's because of that that we may extend your kingdom, that we may be kingdom citizens now and live in light of who we are in you. And we pray for that across this country. And, Father, as we come to your word this morning, we are in desperate need for your spirit to awaken us this morning, to awaken our hearts to the greatness and the glory of who you are because it's a result of seeing the greatness of who you are that motivates us to worship you. So do that for us this morning. Help us to have this great expectation that you delight in revealing yourself to us. And so here we are, Father. Your people in the midst of your presence waiting for you. Asking that you would move in a mighty way for us this morning that we would experience your presence and your greatness and your love and your comfort and your peace and your rest that we so desperately need. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so again, a 10,000 foot view. So I'm going to fly through this story, all right? So at the very beginning of the story of Exodus, we find God's people, the Israelites, they were slaves in Egypt. And so God's people begin to cry out to him for, for redemption, for rescue, for freedom. And so we're told that God hears the cries of his people and he responds. So he knows their pain. He knows their struggle and he enters into their pain. He enters into their struggle and he rescues them. So he rescues them and he brings them out of Egypt through miraculous signs and wonders. And, and for those of you who know the story, you know that plagues were poured out upon the Egyptians. Through his power, uh, God released them from the hand of slavery. He crushed the hand of slavery through his power, through these miraculous signs and wonders. And his people were freed. And so through this guy, through this man named Moses, God leads his people out of Egypt and they come to this place of the Red Sea. Now, when they get to the Red Sea, they look behind them and they see the Egyptians coming for them. So they just 
They just witnessed. They just they experienced. They just saw and tasted God's miraculous power and freeing them. But now they're in this place of the unknown. They don't know what's going to happen. So they look behind them and they see the Egyptians coming for them. They see the Red Sea uh, in front of them here. And they begin to cry out once again, God, help us. And they say this. They say, why did you bring us here to die? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? Why did you make us leave? Didn't we tell you, God, to leave us alone while we we're still in Egypt? Our Egyptian slavery was far better than dying out here. Now, in response to this unbelief, in response to this forgetfulness, Moses begins to preach to them. He begins to remind them once again of the good news of who God is and what he has done and what he will do to free them and slay them, to free them and give them redemption. He says to them in chapter 14, verse 13, he says this wonderful news. He says, guys, fear not. Don't be afraid. I know that you see the Egyptians coming here and you see the Red Sea here and you know there's absolutely no way to get out of this rescue. Death is imminent. You have all these fears going on. You have all this anxiety. You have all this stress. You think it's better to go back where you were. So you're in this place of the wilderness and the edge of the Red Sea. Moses says, don't be afraid. Fear not. Why? He says, see the salvation of the Lord. He says, just stand where you are and watch the Lord rescue you. The Egyptians that you see today, you're not going to see anymore. All you have to do is what? Just stand there and be silent. Wow. That's a pretty amazing truth, isn't it? That here they are, Egyptians coming for them, Red Sea here, in all of this uncertainty and all of this pain. And Moses just reminds him once again, guys, don't be afraid. Just stand and watch the Lord work for you. Watch him to redeem you again. And the Lord says to Moses in verse 16, he says, Moses, I want you to lift up your staff. Lift up your staff and stretch it out over the sea and divide it. That the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I'm going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians. And what are they going to do? They're going to go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh, says the Lord, and all of his hosts, and all of his chariots, and all of his horsemen, and the Egyptians, all of Egypt, will know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh. And so once again, here are the people of Israel. They see the miraculous signs and wonders of God to rescue them. They brought, God brought them out of Egypt, and now he, 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 he parts Lake Thunderbird. All right, so he parts the sea. They're able to walk through. The Egyptians come in and they are just crushed. And what was their response now? They worshiped. They, they, they sang one of the first praise and worship songs. And they said this. They said, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed. Gloriously he has triumphed. The Lord is my strength and my song. He's given us victory. This is my God and I will praise him. Your right hand, O Lord, is glorious in power. In your greatness of your majesty, you overthrow those who rise against you. Who is among you like the gods, O Lord? Glorious in heaven, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders. With your unfailing love, you lead the people that you have redeemed. They worshiped. 
not out of duty, not out of obligation, not because they were supposed to. They worshiped, why? As a response of seeing the greatness of who God is, as a response of seeing the greatness of the rescuer, and their hearts were so full of joy and delight in the Lord, what'd they do? They sang. So why do we sing? When we come into this place, why do we sing? Is it because the music is killer? Is it because we have a talented worship band? Or is it because that you maybe like the style of worship? Or maybe it's because it's just kind of part of something that we're supposed to do, right? It's just part of a religious tradition, a formality. I mean, how can we not come in here and not sing, right? So we just sing just because we're supposed to sing. Or maybe it's just become a sense of duty. Maybe we sing because we feel obligated to sing. Or we have this maybe crazy thought that if we don't sing, God's going to strike us down like he did the Egyptians. Listen, the Israelites were motivated to sing. Why? Because they were filled with awe by the glory of their God. And that's why they sing. And that's why we sing. We sing in response to the glory and the greatness of God. So listen very carefully. Has God rescued you from the slavery of sin and death and has given you life through his son, Jesus Christ? Has he? Has he defeated your greatest enemy, which is death, and promises you eternal life with him? Has he delivered you from the past and he's writing a, a, a new beautiful story of your future with him? Have you, have you tasted and seen uh, his love for you? Have you tasted and seen that your sin will never ever be brought against you ever again because it was washed away in the sea of God's wrath through his son Jesus Christ? You see that? You believe that? Have you tasted that? That's why we sing. We sing because He is our strength. We sing because there is no one like our God. Amen? We sing because of His unfailing love that He has for us. We sing in response to His unfailing love that we have tasted this never-ending, this never-failing, this never-giving-up love that He has for us in Jesus Christ. We sing because of His awesome beauty. That's why we sing. Listen, worship isn't about a talented worship leader, or it's not about fog machines. It's not about lights. It's not, it's not about hymns versus contemporary worship songs. Guys, worship is the heart's response to the greatness of who God is. As one author says, worship is a reflect, reflecting back to God the radiance of his worth. Worship is not a means to a religious duty that we're supposed to do in here. It's the fruit of seeing the greatness and glory of all that God is for you and all that he's done for you and all that he promises to do for you to rescue and save you through his son, Jesus Christ. Is this our longing? Is this our expectation? That when we come into this place, 
we have this expectation when we get in our car and we drive to this place that we have this expectation, this longing, this yearning, this hungering, this thirsting to seek and know and find and experience the living God. Is that our expectation? Because guys, let us remember that the same God who parted the Red Sea is with us this morning. He is in our midst. He lives and dwells within us through the Holy Spirit. Let us not forget that. That when we come into this place as God's people, we come in here with the Holy Spirit and God's presence is among us this morning. And so with this expectation, let this be this motivation to cause us to be a people who cry out for Psalm 27, which says this. The one thing I've asked the Lord that I seek after, this one thing that may be our longing, this one thing that we may give our lives to, this one thing that may be the, the, the motivation to, to come into this place, that we may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. That's why we come into this place, to gaze upon the, the beauty of the Lord, to be reminded of his beauty, to, to be in awe of who God is for us. That we would be a people who long to be in his presence because we've tasted Psalm 16. We've tasted it for ourselves, which says that in your presence, Lord, there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Oh, may we be a people who long to come into this place with great expectations to worship the greatness of who God is for us. That's why we're here. But guys, here's the deal. It doesn't start when we come into this place. It starts when we wake up in the morning. It begins before we even step foot in this physical location. Because worship has everything to do with God in our hearts, not a building or a worship service. We were created to worship. Worship is all of life, not just an event or a building or if, uh, an experience. Jesus tells us this in chapter 4 of, of the Gospel of John. So Jesus is traveling through Samaria, and he meets this prostitute. And he begins to have this conversation, Jesus and the prostitute, over worship. And, uh, and, this, and this woman has this understanding that, that worship has everything to do with the location. She says that where she worships and where her people worship is in a physical location on the mountain in which Jesus and this prostitute are having this conversation. And as they go through this conversation, she thought that Jesus was saying, no, 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 listen, uh, worship does not happen on this location or this mountain. It actually happens in Jerusalem in the temple, but that's not what Jesus was saying. He was trying to expand her understanding of what worship really is. And he wants to expand our understanding of worship to this morning. He wants us to see what worship truly is. And he says in verse 21 of John chapter 4, he says this. He says, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. 
But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. And so what Jesus is saying is like, look guys, worship is no longer confined to a building or a physical location. It's no longer in the temple in Jerusalem. It's so much bigger than an event or a building. Because Jesus is trying to expose and trying to expose the, the prostitute's heart. He's trying to expose our heart that worship ultimately is a matter of our heart. It's not how we worship. It's not where we worship. It's who we worship. And so Jesus is saying, guys, look, the Father is seeking. He is concerned, not about where or how we worship, but he's looking for people who actually worship him. Because that's what our hearts were made for. Our hearts were made for worship, and our hearts were made to worship Him. But there's a problem, isn't it? How many of you know the realities of your heart? You know your heart well? If you know your heart well, you know that there is a problem. And there's two problems within our heart. We are prone to forget, and we are prone to wonder. So we are prone to forget who God is, and what he has done, and we forget his glory, we forget his promises, and we also look to other things to satisfy our heart's desires, which end up being the wrong things, ended up being the wrong object, and we never truly find our, our hearts being satisfied. And this is exactly what happened to the people of Israel. A month later, all right, so one month after they saw the Red Sea part, Egyptians go in, they, they are crushed. A, a month, one month. So like 30 days after they sang one of the first praise and worship songs, the people of Israel find themselves once again in this place of need where they need to be reminded of who God is. And so they, they go from the Red Sea and they continue on and they find themselves in the wilderness and when they get into the wilderness or the desert, there, are, there is no food and there's no water. So what's the response going to be? Oh, Lord, we trust you. We know that you're going to provide. We've seen what you have done. We know that you're going to provide for us now. And we trust you and we will worship you as the great provider. You are, you are awesome and splendor. You are victory and you're going to provide. And we don't really need all of this food that we long for because we know it's what you that satisfies our heart. What's their response going to be? Here's their response. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt. At least we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you've brought us to this wilderness to starve us to death. Are you kidding me? I mean, surely, right? Like if we walked to Lake Thunderbird and we see God part the Red Sea and our enemies, you know, are just crushed... A month later, surely we would not be in a place where we're doubting and forgetting God's faithfulness, right? We would. Because we do it every day. We do it all the time. We're forgetful people, aren't we? We forget who God is. We forget His love for us. We, get for, for we forget he, that He is the sovereign King. We forget that the God of all creation is our Father. And He has everything in His hands. 
We forget that he has pursued us. We forget his grace that pursued us in our slavery and freed us. We, we forget how fa- faithful he's always been to us. We, we forget all of his future promises. We forget the love that he's displayed for us and he has poured out upon us. And what happens when we forget? Just like the people of Israel, our worship of him shrivels up and it dies. And we feel dead inside. And our hearts feel so cold toward him. When we sing, when you hear the word of God preached, when we take communion, when we drive in our cars, when we walk to class, our hearts seem so cold at times because we are so prone to forget. So the question is, have we forgotten? Have we forgotten being in awe of God. When you hear his name, the mention of his name, what happens within your heart? Is it stirred? Is your affection stirred for him? Or is it kind of fallen flat on your hearts? I mean, should I dare ask the question, have we actually become bored with God? Have I become bored with God? Guys, that is the reason why we come into this place. We come into this place week after week after week after week after week because we are forgetful people and we need to be reminded so that our hearts won't grow cold. I don't want my heart to grow cold. I don't want your heart to grow cold. I don't want God to say a Providence Road that his people have become bored with him. I don't, want, I don't want God to say uh, to us as people that my people's hearts have, have gotten so cold towards me because they've forgotten all that I am for them and all that they do, I've done for them and all that I will do for them. Guys, that's why we come into this place to remember so our hearts won't be cold. They will be awakened to the beauty of who God is to remember by singing about the man of sorrows whose blood was shed to set us free. To remember that the stone has been rolled away and, the, and he has risen from the grave. That he is alive. We need to be reminded of that. And that's why we come into this place. To, be, to remember all that God is for us and done. We come in this place to remember and we go to our fight clubs and we go to our missional communities to help each other. We're in this thing together. Because I need your help. When you sing, when I hear you sing, oh, it reminds me that I'm not alone. It reminds me of these truths of who God is and it begins to, to, to awaken my soul. We come into this place week after week after week to be reminded of the greatness of who God is. And so our hearts will not go cruel. So our hearts will continue to be awakened to the beauty of who God is. And we also come into this place because not only are we forgetful people, But our hearts do not believe that God will ultimately satisfy the desires of our hearts. Let let me give you just some words that describe the longing of your heart. Let, Let me give you some words that describe the deepest desires of our hearts. Absorbed. Astounded. Awe. Amazed. Enamored. Enthralled excited, consumed, obsessed, 
captivated, preoccupied, impassioned, infatuated, intoxicated. Listen, guys, God created us with the capacity to experience all of these. He created us for pleasure. He created us, I know you may not like this, He created us for hedonism. He created us for worship. But what do our hearts do? What does our hearts do? We become obsessed with other things, don't we? We become obsessed with food. Why? Because we believe that it ultimately gives the, uh, the comfort that our hearts so long for. Or by eating less of it or more of it, that will actually make us a certain way to be noticed and accepted. And we believe that this notice and being accepted by other people will actually satisfy our longing to be wanted and noticed and accepted. So we become obsessed with food. Or become enamored with sex. Believing it will satisfy our longing to be wanted and cherished. Or become preoccupied with school. Why? Because we think that our careers are going to give us the value and worth that we're looking for. We don't believe that being a child of the living God, we find the value and worth that we're looking for. And so we look to our school, which then looks to our, our studies, which then looks to our career to give us these things. You with me? Captivated by money. Why? Because it's going to give us some security that we're looking for. We don't believe that the God of all creation, our Father, has everything in his disposal to give us the security that we need, to give us the happiness that we need. So we look to money because we believe that it'll give us the, the security that it promises us security and happiness. And what happens, guys? What happens when our hearts do this? They become idols, don't they? They become objects of worship. I mean, all you got to do is ask the question, what consumes my time? What consumes my thoughts? What consumes my money? And I probably will tell you what your idols are. They captivate us. But guys, why is it that these things never truly satisfy us? You ever thought of that? Ever considered that? Why do we still find ourselves like the Israelites, complaining and grumbling and bored and unsatisfied? Listen, the problem isn't our desires. And I know that may be hard to kind of reconcile and to think about. The problem isn't our desires. The problem is this, and listen very carefully because this is going to set you free. The problem is that we're just looking at the wrong object for pleasure and satisfaction and to be excited about and be astounded and be in awe in. Our hearts have a worship disorder. And the solution isn't to suppress those desires as maybe some of us have been taught in the path. Past the, the solution is to see the, the right object of, of worship. The solution for our hearts is to see that our hearts were made to be absorbed and amazed and excited and consumed and intoxicated and infatuated and to be in awe of God. That's why you were created. That's why your hearts will never be satisfied and other objects of worship, ever. I love this illustration that Sam Storms gives in this book that he wrote, Pleasures Forevermore, The Life-Changing Power of Enjoying God. And I love that title. Pleasures Forevermore, The Life-Changing Power of Enjoying God. And he gives this illustration uh, from Greek mythology, the story of U Ulysses. And I may change his name to like Phil because I can't say U Ulysses. Some of you have heard the story, right? 
After kissing his wife Penelope, Ulysses gets on this boat and he sails from Ithaca to the city of Troy. Because the king of Greece, his wife Helen, was seduced by uh, the prince of Troy. And so Ulysses and the and, uh, Greek army, uh, they, go to, uh, they go to the city of Troy and they, they build this wooden horse, Trojan horse. And they, and they try to sneak into the city of Troy by getting into the belly of that horse and they're able to do it. They go into the city of Troy and they, they recapture Helen and they, uh, they restore the dignity of, of of Greece, but it was the way back uh, that became so difficult and troubling for Ulysses and his men. Because you see, there was this island. There were these islands uh, that they had to pass by, and the inhabitants of these islands were called Cyrenes, and they were gorgeous. All right? They were beautiful. And, they're, and, and they played this music. They sang and, they, and, and, and their voices and the music and their, their physical beauty and the, the beauty of their, uh, of, their, of their songs were so intoxicating. They were so seductive that when ships passed by, they would be lured in to them and they would crash on the rocks and they would eventually die. But Ulysses and his men were warned about the sirens and so they had a plan. They, uh, Ulysses ordered his men to put wax in their ears and not to look at the seductive beauty of the sirens. And then he ordered his men to tie him to the mast and so that he would not steer his ship and give in to the intoxicating beauty of the sirens. But he did not put wax in his ears and he listened. And so once they passed by, saw the beauty and they heard the beauty of, his, of, uh, of the voice. Now, he did not go, he did not give into it because he was, he was externally, he was tied to the mast. But inwardly, guys, his heart longed for it. His heart was captivated by the beauty of these sirens and, and the beauty of their voices and songs. Guys, isn't this the way that we try not to give into the sirens in our lives? You see, we all have things in our lives that are calling out to us, and they're very seductive. Be captivated by me. Be excited about me. Be consumed by me. Find your acceptance and worth in me. Find your comfort in me. Find your, find your love in me. Find your, find your longing to be cherished in me. Worship me. Now, I don't know what those things are in your lives, but I think you do. All you have to do is begin to think, what am I so excited about? What captivates me? What am I in awe over? And that will tell you what's luring in you that your heart is longing for, to, for you to find the desires of your heart to be satisfied in these things. And so this is what we do. We try our best to put wax in our ears. We tie ourselves to these external lists and rules and duties and obligations. Why? So that we will not give in to the seductive voices in our lives that we know that we should not give in to. And, but we still long for them, don't we? We still thirst for them. But why are our hearts still so unsatisfied? Is there something better? Is there, more, is, there, is there a better song? Is there a more seductive, is there a more beautiful voice that we, our hearts will long for that would set us free from the desires of our heart for these objects of worship? Is there such a thing? Listen, there's another part of this story 
there's another character, and his name is Jason. Now, Jason had a different solution as he passed by the Cyrenes. He brought with him a guy by the name of Orpheus. Now, Orpheus was a talented musician. And so when the time came, when they got closer to the Cyrenes, Jason did not plug his ears. He did not order his men to tie him to the mast. He did not order his men to put wax in their ears. But instead, when the time came, he ordered Orpheus to, be to begin playing his beautiful and alluring songs. And the Cyrenes didn't stand a chance. Jason and his men didn't even desire his, the, 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 the seductive and intoxicating beauty of the Cyrenes anymore. Why? Because they saw something more beautiful. They, they, they were captivated by another beauty. They were intoxicated by, by something so, so far sweeter, by a better object. And guys, this is the solution to our worship disorder that we need to hear that we need to see, that we need to taste and be captivated by the majesty and the splendor and the beauty of who God is and what he has done and what he will do for us in and through, in and through his son, Jesus Christ. This is what Christianity is about. This is what it means to be a Christian. It's not about a list of rules to keep us from giving in to the seductive voices in our lives. It's not a list of do's and don'ts to prevent us from, from giving in to the sirens. Listen, listen, like lists and rules will not make us worshipers of God. It will never do it. Religious duty, coming in here and just singing because we're supposed to, does not glorify the Father. Jesus did not come and suffer and die and, 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 and free us from sin and death to give us a list of rules and regulations that we are to do. He came to set our hearts free. He came to show us that He is the better beauty. He came to, to free us from the consequences of our worship disorder. He entered into the sea of God's wrath and he was crushed to take away all the consequences of our worship disorder so that we may come into the presence of God and have a relationship with him and become one with him and have this intimacy with him and have this communion with him which ultimately satisfies the deepest desires of our hearts. That's why he came and that's what Christianity is about. And you know what happens when our hearts are satisfied in Him? He gets the glory that He rightly deserves. He gets the worship that He rightly deserves. As a pastor, John Piper says this famous statement, that God is most glorified in us when our hearts are most satisfied in Him. And when your hearts are most satisfied in Him, we don't listen to the sirens of our lives. Because we know and we're tasting that He ultimately satisfies the deepest longings of our hearts. And you know what happens when this, ha when this takes place in our hearts? The things that we actually look to for idols and worship, they're actually put in their proper pers perspective and place. Work, for example, no longer becomes an idol that we look to for happiness, value, and worth. Why? Because... We are being satisfied in being children of God, belonging to Him. That our value and worth and significance is found in Him and not in our careers. 
And so when I'm satisfied in him and finding my worth and value and significance in him, you know what happens? I can stop complaining about the job that I don't like. I can be content where I'm at and not longing to be somewhere else. Why? Because I know that my job is not going to fully satisfy the deepest longings of my heart, but he will. And now work becomes simply a means to glorify the, the Father and show how great he is to the people in our workplace. Worship simply, I mean, work, work simply becomes a, a means to make other worshipers of Jesus in our workplace. It doesn't become an idol anymore. It's put in the proper, proper place. Sex doesn't become now a, a means just to satisfy our own desires. It becomes uh, an act of worship in, in meeting the needs of our spouses. Money doesn't become something that uh, we look to an idol for happiness and security. Why? Because we are being satisfied in Him and know that He, the one that, that owns everything in this world, is our Father and He promises to give us all that we need. Now, money becomes not a source of true happiness and satisfaction. It becomes a, a, a means to serve those in need. It becomes a means to, to extend God's glory in the city and, and among the nations. Guys, we were created for worship. Our hearts were created for worship. Our hearts were created to find our joy and satisfaction in Him, which then leads and makes us into worshipers of Him. Now, what's our response this morning? Guys, to be honest with you, there's, there's only one response that we can do this morning, and that is to pursue. to pursue the intoxicating beauty of God that is seen in Jesus Christ. So listen, this is what I want to ask. Maybe you find yourself at the Red Sea. Maybe you find yourself at the wilderness of need. And so just like the Israelites, you feel like God is nowhere to be found. And maybe you feel like that your heart this morning is cold towards him. And I just want to be straight up with you this morning. And I just want to confess and say, this is where I find myself in this season of life. That the truth of who God is and what he has done and what he will do is kind of stuck at the Red Sea of my mind. And I need the, part, the, the waters to part and flow to the deepest parts of my soul. Are you with me? Anyone with me this morning? If you are, then listen, this is what we must cling to. We have to remember that the Lord knows that He is the only one that will satisfy your deepest longings. And He delights. He delights. I know you, you may not think that's true, but he delights, he delights, he delights, and delights in satisfying your hearts with himself. And so the, the, the desert of need, the edge of the Red Sea does not, listen very carefully, does not become a place of abandonment. It doesn't become a place of fear. It doesn't become a place of anger. It doesn't become a place where, you, where, you, where you're trying to escape and hoping to go somewhere different or, or, or go back where you came from or, 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 or you're not content and you want to go somewhere else. Listen, the, 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 the edge of the Red Sea, the wilderness becomes a place of worship because we come to the end of ourselves and we see that God is the only thing that will satisfy our hearts. That's what He's doing in your life right now.
if that's where you're at. That's what he's doing in my life. He's bringing us to this place where we ultimately see that the things in our lives will not truly satisfy us. Me being a pastor and trying to be a great pastor, that is to, to, to glorify him, but it will not ever truly satisfy my heart. The praise of man will never ever truly satisfy my heart. He will. And so in this season, he's bringing me to this place and he's bringing you to this place, whatever that is, to see that ultimately he is the one that will truly satisfy your heart. And so listen, if this is where you at, do you long for him this morning? You long for him? Yes? 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 You thirst for him? If you hunger for him, if you thirst for him, then let us pursue him today like guys like we've never pursued him before. Right now, as we talked about last week, in the Kairos, today. And as we continue through our time this morning, as you leave this place, as you get into your car, as you go home, let it be the constant prayer in our life that we are going to his word and we're going to Holy Spirit and say, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Show me who you are. And not only show me who you are, but help me to taste the greatness of who you are. Satisfy my heart with yourself. Satisfy me. I know intellectually that you love me and I see the depths of your love for me, but, 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 but part the Red Sea and may it go to the depths of who I am and help me to taste the sweetness of your love for me. You do that, Holy Spirit, because it's you. You're the only one who can ignite the, the fire of God's glory in my heart. So do it for me. And may we take some time and just stop and rest at the edge of the Red Sea. When's the last time we stopped and just rested? Engaged upon the beauty of the Lord. Not just in this place, but as we go throughout the week, as we go throughout our days. May we be a people who pursue. Guys, I need you. I need your help. We need each other's help to pursue to remind each other, to remind each other of who you are in Christ, to remind each other of who the Father is for you, to remind each other of what He will do for you. And so again, that's why we come into this place. That's why we go into our fight clubs. That is why we go into our missional communities to help each other, to remind each other of the greatness of who our, our God is so our hearts will not go cold, so our hearts will continue to be in awe of Him, that we may become worshipers of Him. And listen, as we are awakened as the church is awakened to the glory of God. You know what happens? As our hearts are awakened, we go and we take the glory of God and we pray that this city is awakened to His glory. Because the glory of God isn't meant to be kept inside these walls. It's meant to cover this city. And so do we long for this? Do we thirst for this? If so, let us be a people who pursue Him. Amen? Let us be a people who long for him. Let us be a people who passionately pursue his glory that in turn we may live our lives in such a way that we become worshipers of him. For that is why we were created. Let's pray.
I just want to give us a few moments to reflect. And remember who our God is. That because we are in Christ, the God of all creation, the one who parted the Red Sea is our Heavenly Father. And He is with you. He is with us this morning. He dwells within us through the Holy Spirit and we are now the temple of God. And so this is what I want us to do. I just want us to take a few moments and I just want to reflect on the truth of who God is and what He has done and what He will do for us in His Son, Jesus Christ. So I don't know what that is for you. I don't know what part of the gospel that you need to hear and be reminded of this morning. If you need comfort to be reminded that the Holy Spirit is with you and He is the comforter. If you're struggling with guilt and condemnation and you are in Christ to remember that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus anymore because Christ Jesus was condemned on your behalf and He's taken away your sin once and for all. Maybe you're just anxious about tomorrow, school starting. Maybe you just need to reflect on the truths that your Father knows tomorrow. And your Father promises to work all things for your good. I, I don't know what that is. But just take a few moments and reflect on the glory and the greatness of who God is. The night that Jesus was going to, before He went to the cross, He was gathering with His closest friends and His disciples and He takes a loaf of bread and He breaks it and He says, this is my body which is going to be broken for you. Then He takes the cup and he says, this is my blood which is going to be shed for you. To be shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And every time you gather together as my people, do this in remembrance of me. And so the reason why we do this every single week, guys, is an act of remembering, isn't it? It's an act of remembering not only what Christ has done for us at the cross, but it's also a reminder that his presence is with us now. That he conquered death. He rose to life. That He sits at the right hand of the Father. And He's poured out His Spirit upon us. And His presence is with us through the Holy Spirit right now. And it also reminds us that He's coming. That He's coming back one day. And when He comes back and we see Him face to face and we come into His presence, the longings of our hearts will finally be stilled and fully satisfied. The longing that you have right now to experience God's faithfulness and goodness and intimacy and oneness with Him and fellowship with Him, one day you will experience that in its fullness. But until then, we wait at the edge of the Red Sea and we remind each other and we remind our hearts that He is with us, that we are one with Him. If you are in Christ, you have this intimacy with the Father that is unlike any other intimacy that you can have with any other relationship because He lives and dwells within you. 
You are one with him. You are connected to him like, like no other relationship. So listen, if you are in Christ this morning, if you are treasuring him above all things, if you're longing and thirsting for his presence and to know him more, then this is what I want you to do. I want you to continue to reflect on the greatness of who God is for you, that he is with you, that he dwells in you, and that he's coming for you. Continue to pursue. Continue to cry out. Continue to long for him. But listen very carefully. If you are not in Christ, if you don't know Jesus then listen, you are standing on the edge of the Red Sea. And there is this chasm. There is this gulf. There is this separation between you and God as a result of your worship disorder. That you have loved and you have craved and you've given in to the the seductive, intoxicating voices of the things of this world instead of Him. And that causes this separation. But the Father sent His Son, Jesus Christ, And our worship disorder was placed upon him. And he was put in exile. He was separated from the Father. And for everyone who calls upon his name and comes to him and confesses their need for him and confesses your sin to him, you can have life now with him and never be exiled ever again because Christ Jesus was exiled for you. And so if that is you, come to him. Confess your need for him. And receive the work that Jesus has done for you to bring you back into relationship with the creator who made you to know him and worship him. Because the reality and the truth is this. You will continue for the rest of your life to give in to the seductive voices of the sirens in your life. And it will lead to your death and to destruction. But God promises life. Life with him. Through his son, Jesus Christ. So if that is you, come to him. And come and, and celebrate what he has done by taking the Lord's Supper. But if that is not you, then I continue just to just I, I invite you to stay where you are and continue to reflect on the things that you've heard this morning. But when you're ready, church, children of God, come and celebrate the goodness of God that he's shown us in his son Jesus Christ. When you're ready, come.